Welcome to the Dropping In Surf Show, uh, where we drop a little bit of math, a little bit of science with a whole lot of surfing. Today is Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. We're recording from Belmarine Keys and Greenbrae, California. My name is Rob Case. I'm a surfing paddling technique coach, and with me, I have my friend Jim, the doctor of physical therapy, Sigelnik. Hey, Jim. How's it going, yeah, Rob? It's going good, man. How are you? Good, good. I, I keep trying to think of it like a new way to introduce you, and I keep falling up short other than just, you know, saying doctor, the doctor. Yeah, you're the only one who calls me that, so. <laughs> <laughs> Jim works. All right, Jim. Jim works. I like yeah. that. How's your week been? It's been pretty good. Um, I actually went surfing. Um, recently since i spoke with you last nice where yeah um our secret spot in marine county really you yeah. got in i rode my bike in did you really oh yeah. what an awesome adventure yeah yeah so i rode my bike uh from my house with a board and a board bag strapped over my shoulder yeah and uh just left early and went for it so wow yeah uh did you surf with anybody else no Solo, huh? Solo session, yeah. <laughs> but people are in there, right? People are back there. Yeah, you know the park. Um, for those that don't know where beep is, there's a there's a park you have to go through. I'm gonna bleep that out. Oh yeah, spot X. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> All the heavies are gonna come find me now. Oh yeah. I'm gonna have to hide out. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's the the park's open to hikers and surfers. Um, and bikers, so you can bike in, and um, you just can't drive and park. So, bike that's in. Kinda, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And you and you left from your place. How long did it take you? About ten hours. <laughs> yeah, probably felt like no, that. No, huh? it it, uh, it it was maybe an hour and forty five minutes um, uh, to ride my bike with the bag blowing in the wind and stuff. Yeah. It was definitely a, a learning curve for sure. <laughs> it was a good warm up. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, man? What have you been up to since we last spoke? Uh, same old, same old. I, 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 the, when the weather turned bad, I just got a lot of videos done. I just actually uh, completed a three-part series that I'm going to release on June 1st on the blog, um, all about analyzing the John John wave, the takeoff, uh, oh, cool. Kaloe takeoff, and That's I awesome. threw, in, threw in a Mason Ho takeoff, too. Um, That's so really kinda, cool compare and contrast those three yeah so i got really excited about that i got that done yesterday um that'll drop on june 1st um prior to that just uh swimming a lot i'm swimming every day i'm strengthening my foot um mm. i think i i think my foot and my leg are ready to surf again um <laughs> my mind has been ready to surf for like six months but um the foot is feeling really good and stretching every day like it's it's crazy. Um, yeah, so things have been good. I've been I've been YouTube searching um, and watching a lot of stuff. Have you watched John John's um, Vila series? I haven't. No. Oh, that's a good one. Um, it'll make you want to go out and buy a sailboat. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I I saw. Um, I know he um, he's into sailing, and I and I've seen footage of him on those cats. Um, and then I recently saw him online. I think it was on Instagram. He was on a uh, some sort of foil board. Yeah. I, th I think he called it an asymmetrical foil. I mean, but it's hard. To, it was hard to get a good look at. But um, yeah. So what you what you think of that? The the series was great. It um it it brought light to how nature can really come back in episode three they, they go to palmyra island in the in the line islands just south of hawaii mm. Mm. and dude the pictures from world war ii of this island are complete barren and in what 70 years or so now it's a benchmark for how nature can uh balance itself out i mean it's it's mm. incredible so uh, definitely a watch. And I think I saw that foil board one too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah that, that seems to be the new thing. Um, I'm sure it's just a matter of time before you and I are on foil boards in that <laughs> lagoon right behind you. 
Dude, I, we tried it. We tried it once behind the boat, and I, oh, almost, ki- right. yeah. I almost killed myself. Yeah, I, I wasn't yeah. there, but yeah, I remember yeah. you telling me about that. <laughs> you yeah. can go to, go to my Instagram and see uh, a couple of my wipeouts for sure. <laughs> That's so scary looking. Well, I and I we found out later that one the wing wasn't set up properly, so it was like upside down. Uh, mm. Two, it was a kite foil. So kite foils, you have to go higher speeds to really get to lift, apparently, mm-hmm. other than mm-hmm. surf foils, and they're more difficult to control. Um, so yeah, we got I, we got lucky. I got lucky with a a couple scars. <laughs> but yeah, it sounds like you're lucky you're still alive. I'm I'm absolutely <laughs> lucky. When that thing tacos, when you go into it and the foil comes up towards you, you're like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's... that's like, I I have a a couple friends that are kiters, and one does um stand up foiling and uh they keep threatening to get me on one of those things and i'm just i don't know i have too much anxiety and fear to like stand on one of one of those things at least at this point in time but i'm sure once you get on it it'll it'd be a lot of fun where around here would be good to foil would you say um it might be too much bleeping for you in the editing room if i start spouting <laughs> off spots right now do it no. do it, do it. <laughs> yeah oh, yeah no um we won't do that to people but um <laughs> no um uh so my um my uh, one of my buddies owns a kite shop here in greenbrae and um he's kind of been intriguing me with the idea of um wing surfing so have you seen that yeah I have. kai lenny does a little bit of that and and for those of you that don't know, it's like you you kind of you have like this inflatable kite, and then you're on a essentially a, a, a kite foil board or a, maybe a pump foil board. I, I I couldn't tell you the exact differences because it's not really my world. But um, and, and then that then you have that is like your um your wind propulsion and so yeah, it looks not quite a kite right it's yeah kite it doesn't go up in the air you're holding yeah. the kite with your hands which right. looks like it's easier to maneuver and so like there's footage of guys just like doing dock starts on that thing um without much wind it looks like you can pump the thing and then kind of you know really? cruise See with that the thing. that might be something we do out here I... yeah you could probably just pump start right off your dock but right behind the dock, you there yeah. on a windy day and just start there going I'm going to take my GoPro and show you guys how it's done. Yeah. Yeah. So um, maybe maybe that's in our future. I don't know. Yeah. It'll um, be it'll actually come up on like wingboarding.com kook of the day for sure. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, so the other thing I've been up to, um, we're big time now, man. We, I, I uh, we, we are on iTunes and you have to you have to search dropping in surf show with quotation marks to find us. Uh, we're also on Spotify now and Google play, and you can see us on YouTube and at my show webpage. There's, we're everywhere, man. And on my blog site too. And your blog site too. We're everywhere. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, maybe, um, I had to tell my coworker to search in, uh, quotes and he asked why. And I was like, I don't know. I think that's because. Because I, we, we don't have, no have views. Yeah, we have five subscribers, and three of them are family. <laughs> one of them's me. <laughs> one and the other one's me. <laughs> there you totally. go. Start somewhere. Hundred percent. So, so those of you listening and watching, you can go and you can subscribe and you can give us a like a five star rating. Five's a good number, right, Jim? I mean, it's not quite ten. Yeah. It's not one. Five's a good yeah. number. Yeah, yeah. Give, give um, a five star rating. Or, 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 or what we could do is we could just keep this like like a speakeasy, you know. Like, like nobody go and subscribe or rate us. <laughs> so nobody yeah. finds us. And th- those people that do listen and watch, they're just in the know. That's right. And, <laughs> and, and when the no comes around 10 years from now, everyone will look back and, and comment maybe how ahead of the times we were with these conversations. And then by then we'll be like expert yeah. kite foilers and yeah. on to and the, the next thing. The people that were listening <laughs> early, like their friends will be like, lucky right <laughs> that's exactly what's going to happen to us yeah <laughs> i already see it i see it. it's our future <laughs> yeah so yeah it's uh it's been a fun week i can't i, I want to get out in the water too so uh, next time you didn't decide to adventure I, I have a few clients saying that um 
that they've been surfing in, at various spots in the Bay Area mm-hmm. um, that are a little bit further for us to go to. But um, yeah. we can definitely get out and and uh, I think I might I think I might revert back to longboarding just to start with my foot the way it is. Yeah, and uh, and work my way down. Yeah, yeah. You should um, fill us in on what's going on with your foot because that's not something you've really talked about. I know it's a bit of a no pun intended, but a sensitive topic. Um, <laughs> but I think um, I think if we talk about it appropriately, it might turn into a learning learning experience for some people it's trying a, to like battle back from an injury. It's a really good. Um... Really good point. I, it was actually one of my ask gyms that we could possibly talk about today, um, because what I've noticed. So, for those of you that don't know what happened, back in October, I was playing basketball with my kids and I broke my foot. Um, I rolled it and I broke uh, a little part of it. That recovered by early December. I had like, you know, I'd been surfing as soon as I got like back in the water. I was surfing every day that week, and one day at OB, a fourth or fifth day. Pretty significant day was out on my my little five eight single fin with a seven and a half inch fin. Uh, took a wipe out the wrong way, and somewhere underwater the fin went into my foot and put a pretty significant uh, cut laceration across the top of my toes, uh, right in front of where the toes attached to the foot. Almost lost two toes, and uh, the ER doctor's like, dude, you'll be back in like 12 days. I'm like, sweet, sweet. You know, stitches will be out. And it took three and a half months to for it to fully heal up, the skin to fully heal. And then another two to three weeks to start putting weight on it. Because by then, you know, as you know, as a physical therapist, I lost a ton of muscle in my leg and in my foot. I was also having... Um, blood pumping issues because it had severed two arteries and um, I mean there's a lot of details here for it but mm-hmm. no, <laughs> my, my my question was gonna be like what I've noticed is for me I I fell out of shape because of you know I had my October break and then immediately after I had this so at least with the October break I could still swim I could still paddle and then when this happened I was fully laid up and I was like, you know, for the first two weeks, I was, it was like, awesome. I got my feet up. I'm relaxed and I'm catching up on surfing and stuff and, um, on watching surfing. <laughs> and then, you know, month goes by, two months go by, three months go by. I'm still not walking on it. And like my whole body just went to crap. And, you know, it was, it was one of those things where I've always heard it takes longer to get in shape than it is to, to get out of shape and I'm just wondering is there any research behind that that saying is it is it really faster to get out of shape than it is to get back in shape yeah absolutely um, to directly answer that question um, there's it, it's part of the reason why hospitals they want you up and out of there and discharged as soon as possible so like Three to five years ago, if like, for example, you got a total knee replacement, you know, you, you got a t- new knee, average hospital stay post-op was maybe two to four days. And nowadays, if you get one, you're out like the same day, they'll do the surgery in the morning and boom, you're out like, you know, you're not really spending the night there. And um, that's not really meant to be rude. It's, it's um, a lot of it's based on some of the negative effects that happen um, from being sedentary, you know. Um, So long story short, uh, being in the hospital for two to three days, you can lose significant strength, you know, um, depending on what you're reading. You know, if you start looking at like the quadricep and the hamstring, that might be 20 to 40 percent in that amount of time, you know, and some of that's like the surgery has an incision through the tissue coupled with um, being sedentary. And then to kind of go on the other side of it, how long does it take to get that back? Well, again, it depends what you read. Um, You know, six to eight months minimum, realistically, probably in the two to three year range um, to get full quad hamstring strength back post-op total knee replacement. But like, so to answer your question, yes, keep moving. That's like, um, I feel like that mantra plays in my head all day long in the clinic because you know, um, 
a lot of uh, maybe orthopedic niggling pains maybe don't necessarily um, put us in the hospital and put us on bed rest, but they definitely uh, can impact our physicality. And so a common belief is uh, if it hurts, don't do it, right? Or, um, or a technique of self-preservation. And so what that sounds like is, oh, my shoulder hurts and um, I feel shoulder pain when I paddle, so I must be doing harm, therefore I'm not going to paddle. And I stopped going to the gym because uh, I feel it in the gym here and there and I don't want to harm it, so I'm just not doing that. And that's a fine strategy in the short term, right? But if we're carrying that self-preservation technique or philosophy indefinitely, that's where we start as an individual start doing more harm than good because of like all these um, negative aspects of um, remaining inactive or not mm -hmm. staying active. And so like when we talk about paddling, um, uh, muscles we use, uh, obviously the rotator cuff, which is a group of muscles that um, are pretty much uh, working as like a gasket to where the arm bone, the humerus meets the shoulder blade socket. We call it a ball and socket joint. And if you can imagine like a trailer hitch and four rubber bands going around that trailer hitch, those rubber bands are going to get taut in all these different planes of direction to really try to center the ball within the socket. So sometimes what people find MRIs is this thing called fatty infiltrate. And what that is, is fat tissue depositing in rotator cuff muscle tissue. And the same thing happens a lot, or I should say more commonly because it's not very common, but when it does happen, it happens in the rotator cuff and it happens in um, the paraspinals or the multifidi, which are uh, uh, extensor and stabilizer muscles in the spine. And it happens more specifically in the lumbar spine, the low back. And what we believe fatty infiltrate is, is exactly what we're describing. You know, so if you're, if you're, if you've been um, essentially not using those muscles, um, the body can actually start depositing fat within those muscles. And what does fat and muscle tissue do? Mm -hmm. Nothing good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, essentially um, uh, it's potentially making you weaker. Um, it's taking up more space. Uh, it might be contributing to pain uh, because of that. And um, there's really no good way to get it out. And even if you start training after that, it's yeah. not going to come out, you know? And, and so when they look at individuals with chronic rotator cuff pain or chronic shoulder pain, what do they yeah. find? Fatty infiltrate. When they look at individuals who have, um, here's a common scenario. Hey, Jim, I tore my rotator cuff and I didn't want to get surgery. And so I just kind of, you know, self-preserved for X amount of years. Now I want to do surgery. And then they go back in and then they MRI it. And now there's all this fatty infiltrate all over the rotator cuff because the guy hasn't been using his arm regularly for years, right? And so if you think of low back pain, well, that's like, you've heard me talk about that before. That's probably yeah. one of, or the number one um, most common musculoskeletal condition to come into any clinic um, in this country. And is it chronic because there's fatty infiltrate in there oftentimes or, um, is that just like an observation that we're making based on how people are treating their backs with these self-preservation chronic protection strategies? Wow. So kind of, you know, apropos to your point, um, yeah, it's, you know, the body is going to adapt to how you use it or not use it, right? Yeah. If you don't use it, it develops fat. If yeah. you use it, you can develop muscle tone and power and strength and all those good things, you know, but to give the viewers and, you know, Rob, just tell me to be quiet because um, I know it's your personal stuff to like any trainer or uh, physical therapist or doctor out there listening or anyone who just is like wants some perspective on um, maybe how um, difficult Rob's injury was. He had a fracture um, in his foot in, in the cuboid bone, right? Right. And so around the cuboid bone, you have adjacent joints and those have ligaments um, that give the body uh, proprioceptive um, input, which is like a way of saying, I know where my foot is in space. And because of that fracture, he was in a boot and for, I think, six weeks, right? 
Yeah, it was mid-October, and I went through till November, and then I started surfing end of November, like right yeah, after so, Thanksgiving. So he's in the boot for six weeks, which means his calf and his pre-tibial muscles, so his shin muscles going down and all his foot intrinsics, what most a lot of people call the core of the foot. Um, there's a lot of muscles there. All those things become stiff, right? And all of those things have uh, proprioceptors, whether it's muscle spindles or whatever it might be that give Rob's nervous system feedback on how to react, right? And so all that stuff is stiffened up um, and not become active or have become inactive over six weeks being in the boot. And then he gets back into surfing. And uh, I know Rob has got a little bit of stiffness in his ankle joint and a little bit of weakness, which we tested with a simple test of how many heel raises can you do. But now he's surfing, right? And so my question to you, Rob, is did you feel 100% and did you feel that that injury going back into surfing set you up to have a freak mishap where the board turned? Like if you had a fully healthy foot, do you think that would have happened? That's a good question. I don't, I don't know because of the way that the injury happened. It was one of those when you're underwater in the whitewater, anything can happen. I got lucky. It wasn't my head that the fin hit. Right. And I didn't wipe out from a maneuver. It was, it was straightening out very much at the last minute. So possibly there that maybe I wasn't able to get on edge like as quickly enough because of the immobility that could possibly have played a part for sure. Yeah. And then to couple that further, um, as you said earlier, you cut arteries between the toes, really small arteries. And for anyone in healthcare, uh, Rob had a scar on his toes, which um, is never really a great sign to see. Um, it's it's a it's an indicator that the tissue's not getting blood, right? And you called me up on this, and I was like, man, I really don't know how much detail your podiatrist went into. I don't really want to be the first person to break this to you, you know? So <laughs> I'm kind of like, no pun intended, tiptoeing into that conversation. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, so again, Rob's, Rob was in a boot all through that healing process where, you know, there. I wasn't even on my feet. They wouldn't even let me put any weight at all. Yeah. yeah. And so there's another coupled, you know, um, uh, immobilized process there to your uh, poor foot but um, long story short you've made a great recovery and uh, uh, again to give the viewers some kind of inkling on how serious that was um, Rob's lucky to have a have his toes right now you know um, I was like every night I was like anytime you texted me or called me about it I was like please tell me they didn't use the a word with you <laughs> you know like like any, i mean like yeah. no joke like that's like they're trying all these things and like shoot like you know that's how that's how that you hear those people they get those random amputations in their toes and yeah. um so you you really made uh, a great great recovery and had you had a medical condition like diabetes or something like that you could have almost yeah. kissed those toes goodbye you know yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it's still not 100%. It's um it's getting there. It's definitely stronger and 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 I've been I've been weighing this balance. And this here's another question for you. How do you weigh that balance between mobility and strength? You know, is it 50-50? Is it 80-20? Um is it just how how are you feeling that day? Um what what's your take on I guess on recovering injuries? And also just on daily maintenance, because I think that's always a, a question as well, is is how much of my time should I spend trying to get more mobile, especially for surfing, or how much time should I be spending getting strong? That's an awesome question. Um, I'm going I'm to answer it with my favorite answer. It depends. <laughs> um, I gave you scenarios, man. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> You know, you, you know, when people say it depends, it, it's just a way to buy time and say, I don't know, right? <laughs> um, no, you know, um, so he, here's kind of my thought on that. Like, if you were in like what we might refer to as phase one rehab, which would be you just got the boot off, like, you're probably just generally stiff, like 
you might, if my fingers were my toes, for those of you who can see my hand, like the toes might have a tough time moving. So the, the, the um, what we call a, a, a metatarsal phalangeal joints and the inner uh, phalangeal joints, like the in-between knuckle joints, the ankle joint might have a tough time moving up and down. And so you might start just actively moving that and then, or passively moving it with a strap or doing conventional stretching, um, really in, in an attempts to gain mobility, you know, but if you're at, if, if, if you're at where you're at right now in rehab, which might be considered more of like, um, uh, if you wanted to call it phase three or what, sometimes in the clinic we refer to as remodeling, which is essentially saying your tissues are healed, go for it. Um, oftentimes we feel stiff when objectively we measure within normal limits. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of a, that's a very common scenario. And you might have some classic mobility exercise where it's the towel where you're pulling the foot up to stretch the ankle and the dorsiflexion or the runner stretch. And if we're still doing those kind of like classic mobility things, um, and in there will include flexibility things like foam rolling my calf to maybe make dorsiflexion a little bit better. If we're still doing those things in this late stage of um, our healing, they should be giving us value. And what I mean by that is like, you should know that you're getting something from it. Okay. And so an example would be, hey, hey, I got this symptom in my Achilles. When I walk, it's a four out of 10, and then I foam roll. And I go walk after and I'm, 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 I'm better. Like there's mm -hmm. no more pain. Cool. That's still a high value uh, flexibility uh, tool for you at this point in time. So that's still doing something for you. Right. But classically at that phase of healing, we should really be focusing on loading the tissue and getting the tissues less sensitive through some sort of strengthening or load tolerance program. So that would be like uh, essentially lifting weights, balancing on one foot, challenging your balance. And paradoxically, as those tissues get more load tolerant, we usually feel less stiff. Ah, I like it. It's like a two for one. Yeah, it's like a two for one. And, um, <laughs> and so much so that um, I think a lot of trainers and definitely therapists are kind of more privy to that concept these days. Ten years ago, we probably weren't talking like that. Yeah. So um, there's all sorts of like novel um, uh, loaded stretches. Like, you know, I might have a kettlebell on my knee and I might be going into it or I might just be doing heavy um, kind of um, uh, front squats with kettlebells trying to sink deep into a squat to get the ankle to um, go through more motion. And so those things are, uh, are really good because remember that uh, strength conversation we just had how long it takes to get that back. Now, what does your muscul musculoskeletal system do when it walks around all day with weak muscles of the ankle and foot, right? And so if all we did was focus on mobility and not strength because we had this subjective sense of tightness, we might just be in this like negative feedback loop where we go out and walk, muscles are inefficient, now we feel tight, and then we spend an hour doing foam roll and stretching, but we're not doing anything to build capacity to really like maybe take away the root cause of that sensation. So, right. Right. So that's for rehab. What about, uh, uh, a healthy surfer, you know, trying to maintain their fitness? Yeah. Another good question. Um, I think, uh, if we followed most, um, guidelines like the Amer American college of sports medicine, we'd be talking, you know, if, if we just said surfing was, um, let's just put surfing over here. If there's seven days in a week, we're doing maybe five to seven days of cardiovascular exercise per week. And that's 30 to 60 minutes of time doing cardiovascular exercise. And with that, we're hitting anywhere between two to four days of strength training per week. And so strength training can be pretty generalized. Um, within that, we can divvy it up to upper body core and lower quarter. And a lot of compound movements these days, like deadlift, you can argue gets at least two or maybe three out of three of those systems. Mm -hmm. And so you can be really efficient with what you do if you're doing some of that kind of like functional training. You heard me kind of like 
rip on day or uh, episode one and how I talked about how there's still value in some of the old school quote non-functional open kinetic chain maneuvers um but um yeah i think you can't go wrong getting strong and um you might argue surfing is um depending on the type of surfer you are and where you're surfing and how many waves you're catching you're probably getting a little bit of both modalities there strength training with um some cardiovascular exercise because we all know you're probably going to spend more time paddling uh than actually standing up and uh, like pumping and doing those kind of right. explosive things. Yep. So I think that's generally what I try to um, live by on a weekly regimen. Now, if I go surf for two hours, I'm probably not doing a bike ride that day just mm-hmm. because of time and logistics and, and, and those things. Um, so I personally will count that as one of my cardio days because I do, I think, a good amount of paddling in a given session and I right. get my heart rate up. But on my non-surf days, which is like, you know, I, I work full time. My cardio is mainly uh, jogging and riding my bike. And when gyms used to exist, I, I used to do elliptical quite a bit. Um, but uh, strength training, um, uh, I definitely do two to four times a week. And then what about mobility? You know, are, are you just adding in some stretching at the end of your workouts, focusing mostly on strength? Strength. Yeah, awesome question. Um, so uh, that's where I get maybe a bit um, subjective because I think if we look at some of this modern day research and we said, what is classically the stuff that's going to prevent injury if we're not injured? mobility stretching is last on the list right which is think about like when you and I, you and i were in high school pe class in the 90s yeah man you gotta you gotta stretch so you don't get injured yeah yeah before <laughs> you run a mile what do you do you go do some yeah. static stretching and, that's, and right. that's going to prevent injury and uh and uh what we know about static stretching and that's another kind of debatable topic i'm still a believer and fan of static stretching so i'm, a, I'm maybe a bit of a dinosaur in my field when we start talking warm-ups, um, I think if you have, um, again, a pre-existing thing, like if you have a stiff ankle that, or a thing that feels stiff and you're about to go surf or you, you, you have pain with walking or something functional and you have a mobility tool that makes you feel better, you should do that. Right. Right. That makes, that's totally logical. 100%. You know? like, it, like, <laughs> no, no, no. I, Don't do the thing that helps you. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me back up and say, I work with a lot of people that kind of have that, um, that old mindset. Like, okay, so uh, I watch TV at night and all I do is stretch for an hour. And I do that because I uh, don't want to get injured when I go surf. And I'll ask questions like, So you stretch your back, you stretch your shoulder, you stretch your calves. Are you having symptoms in these areas? No. So these are just things that you do, hoping you're building a reservoir for um, protection when you go surf. Yes, essentially. What are you doing for cardiovascular exercise? Uh, Oh, I surf. And how often do you surf? Twice a week, okay. What do you do to lift weights? Uh, I don't lift weights. Okay, so let me get this straight. You're spending seven hours a week doing stretching and we're calling surfing your soul form, soul form of cardiovascular exercise and you're doing zero strength training. That's a recipe for um, insidious, insidious onset musculoskeletal pain, which is like, again, dime a dozen. Like I, was, I think I was sharing in one of these um, conversations we're having. Most people that come in the clinic have no injury, right? They just have, in, they have pain now. And that's more oftentimes than not a capacity issue. So if we think of capacity as like building strength and tolerance through load, um, we're probably working the joints through mobility as we're doing certain things. So we're preserving and improving upon mobility just with weighted exercise. But we're building tolerance, which um, you can think of as like long-term investing, right? You know, you, you invest in your 401k, not to like make money tomorrow, but to make money in the future. And so like a graph that's always kind of stuck with me, and this is a very kind of rudimentary uh, explanation of how bodies work. So kind of bear with me on that. We achieve peak strength at 
around 25 years of life, right? Dang it. Yeah, so we're already on the <laughs> decline, right? <laughs> yeah, and so about every year after 25 years old, you lose about 1% per year. Huh. And, and, and that's based on strength and, and, and there's been stuff suggesting organ function as well. And that's kind of depressing, right? Yeah, I think it's double when you have kids too. Yeah, maybe so, you know, lack of sleep and the whole thing, too much coffee and um, eating ice cream for breakfast like I do. <laughs> you know? So think about that. So like if you're going to continue doing the same thing you're doing, like you're going to keep living like you're 22 years old and surf on the weekends and not train, when is that curve going to catch up to your capacity? Right. You yeah, know, makes perfect when, sense. Right. And so, yeah. you know, I've had that myself. Like, you know, I, five years ago, I wasn't doing a ton of strength training. Yeah. And then I got like a little niggling thing. Right. And I was like, man, like here I am. Right. And so I had to rehab just like any other patient and build capacity again. And yeah. so the cool thing is, is we can always try to fight that curve and we can always, um, uh, do something to defy it with strength, strength change or strength gains that we can continue to make as we age. It just becomes a slower process as we get older and older. But yeah. you know, the 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 alternative isn't as good as putting in a lot of hard work. The alternative is just to gradually get weaker over time. Yeah, yeah. I just in my mind, I'm imagining this. Uh, we had this second uncle, and. The guy was like yoked. He must have been like 80, 85 or so. And he's like, oh, Rob, come on over here and shake my hand. And he'd shake my hand and he'd like break my hand. Like it was, <laughs> it was insane. I'm like, I want to be like that guy. And he, he lifts every day. Or he did, you know. He lifted all the time. That yeah, you it. know, um, I'm, 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 I'm fortunate. You know, uh, when I was in... Uh, late college, I, I, I uh, waited tables. I was a server at Morro Bay. And, and uh, one of our customers, our weekly customers, was Jack LaLanne. Oh, no way. Do you, do you know Jack LaLanne? Yeah, yeah. So um, Jack LaLanne would come in with his wife every Sunday almost. And then myself and other servers would kind of like argue with who gets to go like <laughs> serve him, you know? And I, and, and, and I really enjoyed that because he'd always he'd always have these kind of like neat quips, you know. Um, he wouldn't try to arm wrestle you, huh? Well, he he you know he he'd say these things like go oh, like never stop moving and you know um, uh, got to keep it moving and uh, like that philosophy or mentality he had. I mean, when you look at that guy, like look at the the feats he had in life physically. Like for those of you who don't know, like he would. He would like swim a boat in with a chain in his mouth and he would like, you know, tow the boat from Alcatraz to Chrissy Field and things like that. And essentially he was like, um, like the, uh, a, like a quintessentially physically fit guy for his time for pretty much the entirety of his life. Even in his nineties, uh, he was still fit. And I want to say he lived to be 95 plus years old. And in, you can argue, yeah, genes, right? Genes probably had something to do with it. Um, but maybe his social health was good too, right? Like he had a wife. Um, but that guy's work ethic was like second to none. And it's like, I really admire people like Jack LaLanne because, you know, you, we talk about this like natural aging curve. He, he naturally, or he defied it pretty much yeah. by effort right gradually he lost strength probably just with the natural aging process but essentially he defied that curve with his effort yeah and 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 he wasn't really training for football or anything like that he was doing it to be a healthy person yeah no that's cool i like that i like that uh that whole philosophy and and that's that's something for us to look forward to as we as we get older and hopefully uh, s some of you guys listening are on that track too. And if you're not, it's probably, it's pretty easy to just kind of get on it. It's consistency. It's, I, I try to tell people uh, it's not, if you work out for four hours once a week, it's, it's even 30 minutes a day of doing that consistency. And that's what I found with my recovery with my foot 
is I'm just doing a little bit more each day. And I don't really have a number I'm going to where I'm going to just stop. It's just every day I'm swimming a little bit further or I'm uh, doing a few more pull-ups or doing more squats or jumping on the trampoline more. And it's just a little bit more each time and um, until I'm kind of bored or until they need to go take care of the kids. <laughs> I, I think context is key, you know, um, having a goal that keeps you going. You know, I know a lot of people that like don't work out, like they stay fit with mountain biking or snowboarding or you know, surfing because it's fun for them. Right. And, and I'm, believe me, I'm, I love doing stuff for fun. Who, who doesn't like being physically active by with having fun at the same time. But, um, but like, if you think of like, uh, like the context of exercise, like I personally do all that stuff I just mentioned. Well, number one, to be a, health as healthy as I can be for myself and my family but secondly I do it because I want to keep surfing like I'm 21 years old yeah right and so I I maybe get bought into my regimen when I go and surf my local break and I can still click a turn and it feels good right or I do something I haven't done before and I go hey like like I can still like the old dogs still got some tricks left in them right like yeah like I can still improve in certain aspects of my surfing, like, like maybe coming out of a turn because my legs are stronger, right. That I probably wouldn't have recovered from. And so those little kind of nuances I personally feel are like the secret ingredients in the context. Mm -hmm. And if you make those connections, you're more likely to stick with something. Yeah. Right. But I think where I see a lot of people fail. And when I say fail, I mean, fall off of being regular with exercises they're just doing exercise to do exercise, right? And and there there are no contextual goals, yeah. and it gets boring because uh, they don't enjoy jogging or they're not seeing how it um, makes them healthy or how it relates to uh, maybe changing their performance in certain um, aspects of things that they like to do. So um, now, if I just jog and I hope to be a better surfer after that, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Right. Like, like I'm probably maybe going to have some carryover with like, you know, um, lung capacity. Right. You know, but going back to your question of what should we be doing? Well, you can't go wrong getting strong. Anything you can do to get stronger will carry over to function. And I don't care if it's functional strength that you do with like box jumps or whatever the heck you want to call functional strength these days, or just getting like, the weights out and doing simple things um, because one of my like biggest pet peeves is calling exercise non-functional. And I don't know when in the history of ever a person can get stronger and that doesn't carry over to their function, right. you know? So I think there's merit in anything that gets you strong. And um, I think that would be like my take home message today. Now that I think about it would be, <laughs> PSA coming from Jim. Yeah. You can't go wrong getting strong. Um, <laughs> you got to find something that keeps you going uh, with strength training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny you talked about motivation. And I talk about uh, motivation a lot in level one. That's why I teach the why behind why we move the way we do in water or why, why it's important to move that certain way. Because when you have the why in the back of your brain – it motivates you more to continue to work towards that new motion or that strength that you need or you want. Um, and it, and it, it, it takes the daily grind out of the day after day after day of working, working out. Right. And Lori has, Lori hates the term working out. You know, she's a orange theory coach and she also works uh, for Dean Ornish now as their um, director of fitness and she's like, I hate the word working out. It should be funning out. We should just, just change the whole thing to funning out. And I'm like, that's genius. Yeah, because it's, it's, it shouldn't be work. It shouldn't feel like that uh, in your mind. You know, and I, I say all the time about swimming, my, I started swimming competitively when I was three. So I burn out very early. But I, once I found water polo and once I found surfing, I now had a purpose 
for my swimming. And as soon as I got that purpose for when I, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to do double practices today because I'm going to get better at surfing. I'm going to get better at water polo. And, and then that grew from there. And now, you know, sometimes when I'm just stressed, I'll go for a swim because it's very meditative as well. Um, but that'll be my driver for that day. But my long-term driver is, can I get better? Uh, can I do this for longevity's sake and to help me with those those other things that I really enjoy doing, for sure. So, when, cool, when do, yeah, when when do you think you start you started thinking like that? Uh, so I started surfing when I was thirteen. Or when I you was... started when you started changing that mindset, like I'm gonna I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z to have longevity. Ah, um, that's a good question. When I was 30 and when, I, when we had, um, when we had kids, that was when I was thinking about that. Yeah. How about you? Yeah. I, I, I love what you said. Um, but cause I think if you bring kids into your context, a lot of things change, Yeah. right? At least, at least for me, they, they did. I have two kids, uh, uh both young, uh, my son's three and a half and my daughter is six months old. And there's definitely like the thought that I need to stay as healthy as I can to be around as long as I have control over because they're in my life. Right. And that, you know, you don't really have that thought, I think, or at least I didn't before I had kids. Yeah. No, I, I I didn't either. Yeah. I think that that makes a pretty profound difference is having, and it doesn't necessarily need to be kids. It could be just anybody really really important in your life that you're not you're not looking inward anymore and you're you're really worried about the people around you more and you being around for them i think that's kind of my takeaway from that time period in my life when i started thinking about long longevity and i stopped surfing really really big waves alone um you know i start i stopped taking unnecessary risks at that point and started to think more on the health aspect of longevity for sure. Yeah, kind of same deal here. I um I can recall an injury I had um when I was uh 22, 23 and it was a bad one and it took two almost 3 years to fully recover from. I thought you were going to say two or 3 days. No, 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 no. At, at age 23. <laughs> no. No. Um and uh Recovering from that injury felt like a second chance Mm. and and I recovered well a lot of it was from training physical training um, and some psychology uh, and and, and just kind of like building um, you know it seems like we talk about resilience a lot uh, when we get together but becoming more resilient through injury really gave me a perspective of um, how dissatisfied I got when I couldn't surf and surf at the capacity that I knew I was able to. Right. And so when you have an experience like that, you're, 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 you, you remember it and it, it kind of like gives you maybe a little bit of motivation or maybe what if, right. So like, you know, that's part of my motivation for staying active is like trying to get as far away from that as I can uh, moving forward because I have the constant reminder of working with clients every day that people get injured all the time. And, um, I just try to practice what I preach a bit. Yeah. I could definitely see that getting in the way from a mental point of view that always like in the back of your brain, that little voice going, ah, you don't want to get injured. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, I mean, that, that kind of like comes with, um, being injured and being out of your sport, being incapacitated. And, uh, you know, to that point, like I was, I was talking with one of my coworkers the other day and we were talking about, uh, athletes with return to sport after ACL reconstructions. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking about John, John in the past, in the recent past. And yeah, in that conversation that someone like me has with an athlete that's had a pretty major knee surgery, okay, when do you get back to surfing or when do you get back to soccer or whatever it might be? It's like, it's so complex on so many levels and we try to simplify it, which is sometimes a mistake. And it doesn't have to be a standalone decision made by me, mm-hmm. right? We can bring in a team. So 
like what does your personal trainer think what does your physical therapist think what do you think mm-hmm. uh what does your surgeon think um what does your coach think if you have a coach and um and so clinically what we do is we do um functional uh uh strength and dynamic testing through hot tests so a classic example would be we take your unaffected or non-surgical side and we have you um, stand on one foot and jump out horizontally as far as you can. Mm-hmm. And we measure that distance. And then we take your surgical side. And this is like down the road, like six, nine months plus post-op, right? Um, and then we do the same thing on your surgical leg. And if you're 80 to 90% symmetrical, we'd say, hey, you've, you've potentially passed that test. Right. Check the box. You've checked that box, right? And then so there's a whole battery of hop tests right? And um, those have essentially been the gold standard for a long time. And, um, and we still use them, I use them. Um, and they still have a lot of value, I believe it's, it's like a lot of things in, 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 the, in the research world that I live in. Things get refined over time where this test wasn't as good as we thought this one mm-hmm. has more value. Um, but the interesting thing to me, at least in my profession is there's the you've heard me talk about the pendulum swinging to this like psychosocial aspect of orthopedic pain. And so there's a survey out there that um, actually assesses an athlete's um, psychology with return to sport. And what we know is that's a really valuable test, right? And so um, some of the criteria that we look at is, you know, if we had to tie it into this biopsychosocial model, like um, the social would be like, uh, okay, you have a college scholarship coming up and oh, there's a lot of pressure or you need to get back to surfing because you need to like, um, I don't know, qualify for the Olympics, right? Yeah. Those are yeah. social pressures that make you make decisions or influence mm-hmm. your decisions, right? The biological side of it would be how much time of healing you've had. Now, there was an article that came out two months ago, really awesome article on ACL reconstructions. And this article looked at, I want to say, 17 to 23-year-old males. And essentially what it said was, uh, if you go back to um, sports, before nine months post-op, if you have an ACL reconstruction, you're seven times more likely to re-tear that knee. That's crazy. And that's just off time. That's nothing else, right? So going back to, you know, incredible athletes you can check all these boxes but if you're at six months post-op you still might be statistically speaking higher likelihood for injury just because the graft isn't where it should be to handle force or maybe has less wiggle room for error if you land wrong right right yeah um and the cool thing about like athletes is they usually know right they usually i don't trust my knee um and so that kind of goes into this survey of like psychological readiness. So what's cool about that kind of psychosocial model is um, you can pass all the conventional tests, but have an athlete that's like kind of borderline eight, nine months, but yet he just doesn't trust his knee yeah. or her yeah. knee. Yeah. And that's kind of a tough dilemma for the therapist. So it's like, okay, so is this person gun shy or are they, um, are they giving me information that I can't measure right. that I should listen to? Or you can't interpret. Yeah. Right. You, I, I really want you to go watch that John John uh, web series now where he goes I to will. sales because he's, he surfs on a foamy on his bum knee and he's just like, I just, I was watching my brother and my friend catch all these waves and I just, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> and I just want to—I I want you to videotape yourself watching this. Just to, I want to see your face, <laughs> like what happens to Jim's face. Like, <laughs> oh god, no! Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I'll be in a dark room alone with no cameras <laughs> while I. Uh, You'll be in the shower, going, "No, why would you do that?" <laughs> no, like I mean, I've definitely been a therapist for um, uh, some weird situations, like. Man, I can recall one. So I had a I had a girl that was 13 years old who was a patient of mine, and um, she was a volleyball player, a really really good volleyball player. Um, and she blew an ACL in the knee, right? And um, and then uh, she went back uh, to playing volleyball, maybe a little too soon, right? And trying to talk like 
one year, two years down the road with a 13 year old athlete is very hard to do when they're like getting a lot of social pressure from their parents in their high schools. Right. So she was in eighth grade going to high school, looking to be some stud volleyball prospect. Right. Right. And so, um, she retore, uh, the same knee. And so, uh, and so she, she got a second surgery and now she's 14. Right. And then, so we're rehabbing and she's got that experience to learn from. And, uh, and then she went back again, I think probably a, around a year and, uh, she retore the other knee, same, same, same injury, other knee now. Oh my gosh. And the surgery didn't go well. They tried to do what's called an open meniscus repair, where essentially they uh, put an incision on the side of your knee to fix this pad, the meniscus, the lateral meniscus. And um, the surgeon wanted to sew it back together. And um, the, the, the thing with one of the drawbacks of that surgery is it, it's really um, close to anatomically to a, a nerve that runs down your foot. Mm-hmm. And so she came back on that third surgery uh, with something called foot drop. And so what that is, is it's essentially a lame foot. Like you can't actively dorsiflex. And so this poor girl went from one eight being on top of the world, ACL reconstruction, another ACL reconstruction on the same knee, third ACL reconstruction or first one on the other knee with a neurological injury on top of that. So, um, so, I mean, that, is, I mean, like as a physical therapist, there's no amount of training you can do yeah. as a professional to go through the psychology of that with a person, right. you know, especially a adolescent female, you know, that had her whole, like, you know, pretty much her college plan um, laid out for her at the age of 13 because she was so good at volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's funny just at the tail end there, I thought, we're all kind of going through that mental issue right now with the pandemic. You know, we're, we're all, we all had these plans and this thing has just sidelined all of us. And I think the, the mental health aspect of what everyone's going through right now is, has not been talked about enough. Um, you know, with, with the lack of social activity, with us all being social creatures, uh, and, and, and the effect also on what you were just saying, how we had all these plans and now we there's a big blank unknown. And you could look at it going, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. Or you could look at it going, it's a blank slate. Anything can happen. Let's let's get excited about it, right? So the, the mental aspect that we're all going through, we sometimes will go down that dark road and sometimes we'll, we'll hopefully, most of the time we're up on the the bright side of things. Um, but yeah, I think, I think we're all going through that knee reconstruction psychology right now. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, stress, uh, manifests in all sorts of ways, um, physically. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, I, I, I feel like this is going to go down another road and (laughs) should we pump the brakes? Guess what? (laughs) We're an hour in already. Are we really? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I, I'm going to put a note to talk. Uh, that could be a topic all in itself. I think. Yeah. Um, I have a few things here. Uh, clarification from last week. I just wanted to clarify because I got an email. Um, the speed at which we need to go to catch a wave. I talked about the planing speed, but actually planing speeds, the first kind of whole speed barrier that you hit. And then you have to catch up to the speed of the wave, like what we talked about in episode one. So just to clarify, our ultimate end speed needs to be whatever the uh, speed the wave is moving at. But we have to get to planing speed first before we can stand up, essentially. Um, so that's, again, that's why you know you can surf on a skimboard. It's because you, you're up, you're planing, and you're moving with the wave. So just wanted to clarify that because... Um, I had a question about that uh, come through email. And, and either way, I think going out and body surfing is going to help either way. Uh, learn the wave speed that you need to go and also the planing speed. So there's a little uh, admin there. There's some more admin. 
Uh, our show is brought to you by Salty PT. We had a couple good salty moments there. I like that. SaltyPT.com and SurfingPaddling.com, uh, surfing as well as Red House Kitchen IB, uh, one of 655 ocean-friendly restaurants. Um, so make sure that you guys go and support those restaurants when you can. Um, last segment. I sent it to you ahead of time, man. I'm really interested in hearing your, uh, your take on this. I call it wore out my VHS tape. Before streaming, there were DVDs. Before DVDs, there were these laser discs. And before laser discs were VHS tapes. So Jim and I both grew up with VHS tapes. Um, so what was just a classic surf video or film that, that you just would watch on repeat? Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome question. I had a lot of fun thinking about it because it took me back to my childhood. And that's an easy question for me to answer. It would be uh, Taylor Steele's Focus. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. And so um, my, my good buddy, uh, Nick Franco, who is um, now a surfboard shaper and a, and, a, and a paddleboard shaper through Shearwater Paddleboards, um, an amazing athlete, uh, him and I started surfing right around the same time. I was a few years after him. And we would, we would do this thing like on Friday uh, after school, I would go to his house and sleep over and we would just like stay up watching focus over and over again. And, uh, the next day his dad would drive us out to Bolinas or Stinson. Nice. And like, I mean, I could still, I could hear the Pennywise music, like yeah. as we were driving out to the beach and then I would like, you know, plead to borrow the tape indefinitely. And then I would watch it during the week and like study it. And, um, I mean, like, I, I I feel kind of bad for the youth these days because they don't get those like, well, I guess like, I, I guess sometimes they do like, there's a couple of guys who make films, but like, there's, there aren't too many like 45 to 60 minutes sit down and I'm going to watch a surf film from beginning to end. And there's going to be like, um, uh, satirical acting in between, <laughs> like introducing the surfers is like, you know, superheroes and like, yeah. I just really miss that whole momentum era. <laughs> yeah. That, that whole box set, uh, Lori got for, for my birthday one time on DVD and because she saw my VHS tapes of them and they were all worn down. Like she'd watch me watch them and there'd be parts of the screen that would just kind of dart in and out because it was so worn down in that section where I'd rewind it and watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> over and over. Yeah. Those, those, those would be for sure in my list, that whole set. But the one that really did it for me was uh, Searching for Tom Curran, which was awesome. I mean, the uh, places that they went, the surfing that he did were just insane. That the, the first wave he ever surfed at J-Bay, the very first wave. And J-Bay, when I went there, J-Bay is a tough wave to surf. It looks um, hard. It's it's fast. It speeds up. It slows down. It's a high barrel, uh, and then you lose speed at certain. It is extremely hard, and he goes and he does that <laughs> to the darn wave the first time he surfs it. And then the other part section was uh, was Bawa when he surfed that little like fish, and um, Bawa is a spot that I go to yearly now with Asu Camp. And uh, that's one of the, the right-handers. And it's become quite a special place for me. We will never get it like Tom got it in the movie because the reef rose uh, during that, uh, that earthquake. And it's not the same, but it has similar sections, which is pretty cool. Um, but the, even the way that he chip-shotted into those waves from the outer bar or the outer reef uh, was what we were talking about last week is finding those little chip shots on the, and he was really one of the first to start to do that on really small boards. Yeah. So searching for Tom Curran and focus. I like it. Focus was a good one. Focus. I mean, there Taylor Steele had so many, but focus, focus was kind of when he started to get his real groove with. Yeah. You know, with his... I mean, I, I, I feel like I, I watched all of them. Yeah. Um, I think there's probably 20 something yeah. at least um, starting with momentum and momentum too. And I think focus was like maybe the third or fourth film yeah. he did. And like, 
93 or four, maybe. Yeah. That's how old I am. And, yeah. um, but yeah, I think um, those films at that point in time in my life, like I think had a big influence on just my mentality as a surfer. Yeah. And from the equipment we would ride to the music we'd listen to, to even how we'd act, you know? Um, yeah. But um, yeah, those were good times. I, I, uh, I, now all you have is like two to four minute video edits. Cause that's all people have like the attention span for. And here we are putting out like hour and a half podcasts. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. Actually, we don't know what we're doing so much so that I started the zoom recording like 15 minutes late. So you're going to have to send me like a photo that you want me to put on the screen of you like going, sure <laughs> like a little smile and then it'll take over but yeah we we uh we definitely appreciate all of our viewership and and listenership uh make sure that you subscribe and and like with five stars or you know just talk to your friends about us if you want uh send us questions uh and any extra topics that you want us to talk about we have wasted another hour of your life so thank you for sharing your time with us thanks jim for uh for sharing your time and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Rob. All right, Thanks, see you guys. guys.